This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, September 8th. Tim O'Malley, Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. A bunch of news from Brian Kelly on Monday, Labor Day webinar with Brian Kelly. Some battles at positions, uh, some surprises. Uh, I don't think we're shocked by Sean Crawford being the starting safety. Uh, not completely shocked, definitely not shocked by Avery Davis in a co-starting spot with, with Lawrence Keyes. But we didn't expect Shane Simon and Maris Leofile to be the one-two punch at the Buck linebacker, and that in turn precipitated an announcement by Jordan Jen Markeith. Apparently a decision had been made prior to yesterday, but Jordan Jen Markeith announced that he will uh, finish the semester, get his degree, and move on football-wise. Yeah, I actually got a text from a player's parent who was a linebacker on Friday saying, like, have you talked to have you talked to Brian Kelly today? And I'm like, no. Is there anything I should ask? Um, and that sort of went down the rabbit hole of, like, someone's leaving. Uh, Marist and Shane are 1-2 or 2-1. And another linebacker's parent told me the same thing. That, uh, and then Jim Markeith had quit. So I – I wasn't surprised that it came out, uh, but if you had asked me this on Thursday then of last week, I would have said, yeah, that would have been a surprise that that those would have been the top two guys. Cause it's, I mean, how much time have we spent talking about Maris Leofow and Shane Simon on this podcast? Very, very little. Yeah. No, the Irish Illustrated subscribers on the message board have to be pretty happy because every time we brought up Jordan, Jed Markeith, they're all summer long or all spring long. Brought up Maris Leofau, Shane Simon, and Jack Lamb. So they got two yeah. of the three in there. Yeah. And um, we did yeah. we did catch we we did catch wind of of, of Simon and Leofau uh, yesterday morning. But uh, but that would, would but Tim as Tim would have been listed too. I would, my, that's the main takeaway. Like I would have thought no matter what, if you say okay, Jordan Jemarkeith is leaving. Well, I thought why wouldn't they not have Jack Lamb as an or? Because they put four tight ends, they put three safeties. You know that biggest surprise for me would be that with Jack Lamb, um, well Jemarkeith transferring although it makes sense if you get beat out as a senior and maybe you're behind jack lamb for number four in a position you might not want to play this year although people have brought up a very good point this is a free year it makes no sense from that perspective start on special teams get good film and if two guys get hurt he can work his way into it or one guy gets hurt he can work his way into it one guy gets hurt one guy's bad you're back in it right i guess that's a reflection of his frustration with the situation right i mean um because he probably thought that he was in position to win this job. He had the great off season, which we talked about. Uh, the, I agree with you, Tim, though, the Jack Lamb. I mean, I, I can't believe that Jack Lamb lost the job as much as Maris Leofau won it because Jack Lamb's pretty damn good at that role. Uh, he was coming off a significant injury, but he was due to be cleared. Had they had a, an entire spring, he would have been cleared at some point during the spring closer to the end. I got to believe that Leofau was just, really, really good and, and, and beat out Lamb for the job because we know Lamb can play it and play it well. Yeah, that, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around unless Lamb has not fully recovered, unless there's some kind of lingering, uh, you know, lingering mess there. Because I, I can tell you, talking to a source about this, like his expectation was Marist one, Simon two, and number three is Jack Kaiser not Jack Lamb. Wow. So the fact that he's down that far I, I, is bizarre to me. Um, and, you know, is really, you know, there are a few surprises I thought on that depth chart, but that the lack of Jack Lamb uh, and knowing that he's maybe not even number three is, is high on that list. Yeah, because um, I don't know how many people caught this that are listening, but when Brian Kelly mentioned we have a lot of good linebackers, and I was waiting for him to say Jack Lamb and Jordan Jen Markeith, and he said J.D. Bertrand and Jack Kaiser are on our <laughs> scout team. Wait, where are these people? What's the where the names go? Everybody's like, being mentioned, but 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 those two. Yeah. yeah, we have questions in the second segment, so we can talk more about them in in segment two. But you know, I found that uh, Eric Hansen from the South Bend Tribune asked about how Brian Kelly was handling the quarterback situation and. You know, does Avery Davis get some snaps or Abdurrahman? How do they how do they uh, make sure that they stay healthy, especially Ian Book? And I, you know, he talked about the meetings and the mass and the socially uh, social distancing. And you know, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like uh, Ian Book's like kind of out on this island, and uh, they'll get him through the next three months, and then let him be a real human being again. That is my one of my questions for Ian Book tonight. Uh, 
how's your social life? Like, <laughs> I'm guessing he doesn't really have much of one. Um, I mean, and that's what I've heard about some of the, the seniors who have more to lose than, you know, maybe no offense to J.D. Bertrand and Jack Kaiser, but if they don't play a lot this season, that's okay. Um, it's not free in book. Like their social circles, I, I'm told, are incredibly small where it's like book will hang out with Ben Skoranek and Brock Wright. And that's what you got. Like there, there's not a lot else that's going on there. Um, he's pretty serious about making it through the season healthy. I think you just named three virtual students for Notre Dame this year as well, whether they do in-person classes for a whole semester yeah. or not, because those guys are going nowhere near those dorm or nowhere near the classrooms. So that's, it's, you have to do it. I mean, Ian Book's a graduate, mm -hmm. Ben Skronik's a graduate, Brock Wright's a graduate. Why would you mess with all this? Just, they're playing football this year. Yeah, it just, it has to be done. And so that's good news. I mean, when you hear it put in that perspective, it's like, okay, well, you know, now you just got to keep them healthy on the field, you know, yes. away yeah, that, from injury. It's and, not automatic and, anymore, is it? No, it's certainly, it's certainly not automatic. And, and uh, he, you mentioned Skronik as a, as a guy that he hangs with. And I thought Brian Kelly's comments about him are very encouraging. I mean, we know this is a guy that's got a, that has 110 career receptions at, at Northwestern. Just some of the things that Brian Kelly mentioned about him, work ethic, character, work volume relationships with book and receivers let's action speak for themselves and then now that he's gotten a little bit more accustomed to these guys as as teammates he's he's speaking up a little bit I don't think that he's a guy that um you know I don't think he's going to average 17 yards per reception or or the the crazy numbers that McKinley and and Lindsay put up last year but I, I think he's just going to be a really reliable guy especially until Austin comes back and I think he's a guy that He's, he has an excellent chance of leading the team in receptions. Uh, again, not for huge yardage necessarily, but a big target that can body people, uh, you know, kind of position himself like a power forward blocking somebody out and, uh, and making some plays for them. I agree. I mean, he went out to during this, you know, higher different time in the pandemic when we didn't really know what the hell was going on. He flew out to California to crash with Ian book and, work out and catch balls. And as far as I know, Notre Dame has some other receivers who actually live in California and they didn't do that. So that's, <laughs> I mean, I think that says a lot about how bad he wants it. Um, if you're willing to do that, I believe he went down to South Florida to work out as well. Um, so that's, he put it, he put in the time, um, you know, he's, I, I expected him to have a huge year. I thought if, if he doesn't finish with more catches than Javon McKinley, uh, and Braden Lenz, I'll be floored. Um, I, I, you know, and Tim, you mentioned leading the team in receptions. I think that's totally inbounds right now. I think I wish you told me that Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay flew all over the place to play catch with Ian Book, Pete, but you didn't. So that's the problem. I didn't. I just, just throwing that out there. I don't want to speak out yeah. of turn, but that would have been nice to hear as well. Um, yeah, the receptions, I could see that, but I do think. I mean, I think Lindsay behind McKinley. I don't. I don't want to take away from McKinley because clearly he had a heck of a camp. Because Devon McKinley has never started a season anywhere near where he's starting this season. And credit to him for coming back and maybe starting as a fifth-year senior. I have to hope, and I imagine that Braden Lindsay missing camp time has something to do with him not winning a starting position for game one. And maybe it's only that you have soft tissue concerns because you haven't been as active as possible. So you want Braden Lindsay to have less less of a role in game one. I I, I, I want to remind everybody that this was the depth chart for the Duke game. It's not the depth chart for the South Florida game. It's not the depth chart for the entire season. I'd say most of it's accurate. Nine of the nine of the guys on defense that are listed as starters will be starters all year if they're healthy. Yeah. Offensively, I would say six. It, it can it can change it at receiver. But another thing to keep in mind, and, and again, Lindsay missed practice time, non-injury related. McKinley's been coming on. We know that since last year. Lindsay is not a guy that's going to be able to, he can't be a full-time player every snap. He's had concussion issues. He's had some physical issues. You need a tandem at the, at the X position if you're going to go too deep. And McKinley's a big, strong, a bigger, stronger guy. So I think there was a little bit of freaking out seeing that McKinley was number one on the depth chart. There are reasons behind it. And that's a, that's a one-two punch. Now, when uh, when Austin comes back, it'll be interesting to see who plays X and who plays W. But 
right now the McKinley Lindsay thing should not be startling for anybody. I I guess I I'm it's hard for me to sit here and be like, all right, Notre Dame signed this blockbuster class of receivers two years ago. This is the first game of their junior year, and none of them are starting. Yeah, no, for various cool. reasons. Like that, that that's not a that's you know some guy some depth chart moves are positive, some are negative, some are just indifferent. To me, that that's a that's not a great sign uh, for where things are with that class right now because they really need that class to to be productive, not just as seniors right now. Although, funny enough, if Javon McKinley were starting in this position over the fastest guy on the team three years ago, when people didn't already have didn't already prejudge him for his failures, people would be going crazy. They'd be so happy Javon McKinley was a starter. If McKinley no, beat out Chris Fink two years ago, you know, people happy would people would be right now. Yeah, well, they would be. But look, hey, Austin didn't get beaten out; he's hurt. And Lindsey didn't necessarily get beaten out. I mean, there there are some other issues there. So I, I don't. I don't take it as that much of a red flag right now. Lawrence Keyes, Avery Davis, I guess we would have expected, uh, you know, Lawrence Keyes to, to be the clear number one, but I, I don't know that that really matters. If, if da- I, you know, Davis is a guy that we've been talking about for a few months as a wild card and a guy that could really emerge. If that's a one-two punch and they're interchangeable, I, I think that's fine. Keyes is going to get plenty of snaps and plenty of targets this year. I really think I, of the clear number two behind the tight end, though. Don't you, Pete and Tim? I do. I, I just don't think there's going to be a huge opportunity for Keys if he's a true number two there, um, just based on how the offense Because of how they're going to use the tight ends. That's a good ends, point. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. But I don't know. Let's see. We'll, we'll find out here very shortly. And, and, you know, I mean, as far as tight end usage, I mean, Tremble and Mayer are going to be the primary targets. But – Wright is probably going to take more. He's certainly going to take more more targets away than he has in the previous three years combined. And we have to be cognizant of the fact they announced they are not going to tell us about any injuries that are not like season ending or monthly ending. In other words, Lawrence Keys and Avery Davis, either one of them, Braden Lindsay could have a soft tissue injury that they happen August twenty fourth, and it bothers them right now. True. So they didn't win the job. I mean, I they think not, I, not announcing any of that stuff. So I, I think we would have heard about that, but not if it's a not if it's one where they're still practicing. Does that make sense? And you're just not as good as you could be, maybe. Like if you're sitting, yeah, out, just had a tweak or yeah, know, a very minor okay. thing. If he's like out, I think we, brain. Yeah, if yeah, he's out, I think cool. we would know. But right then again, Clarence Lewis caught us by surprise. Last thing, segment one: Sean Crawford, strong safety. Uh, the fact that he's starting at safety is not a surprise. We'll talk more about the, the the safety depth and the players at those positions in segment two. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit more in segment two about the size of Notre Dame safeties beyond beyond Hamilton. But uh, not a surprise, but I think a little bit of a, at his size, and, and he's going to have to be physical at that position. It, it, it's a little bit of concern once again whether he can whether he can hold up the entire season. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in some ways the safety position probably is, could be less physical for him than playing corner where you're in the wash immediately. I mean, that's a maybe it just takes one hit to throw all that out the window. Uh, I, I'm really curious to see how this shakes out from this, the standpoint of Notre Dame's coaches had a choice to make. Are we better with Sean Crawford at safety or corner, and then the other half of that is, are we better starting Clarence Lewis, potentially, or Houston Griffith? And the fact that it was Tariq Bracey or Clarence Lewis over Houston Griffith or, or Isaiah Pryor, I think is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm curious how that develops during the course of the season, if, if they go back and forth with that. I thought Kelly was as blunt as he could be, saying the safety position requires instinct, savvy, coverage ability, football knowledge. John Crawford has all of it, and at no point ever have we thought that of Houston Griffith, and at no point did a single Ohio State Buckeye fan think that of Isaiah Pryor. Yeah. We'll talk more about the safety position and other positions in segment two coming right back. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. 
Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, burning up the boards. We start with a statement rather than a question from Buster Bibbin. Clarence Lewis, Brian Kelly's freshman corner, was a freshman. He's right. <laughs> I thought for sure Brian Kelly was speaking Brian Kelly. He wasn't. He was just talking <laughs> like a regular coach. We thought it was Rutherford. And as it I turned thought it out, was Cam, Cam Hart, Hart and Rutherford. You know, yeah. He probably Sometimes was referring to Cam Hart also. It is a freshman. Wallace also a, a, a redshirt right. freshman, now playing safety. But, uh, yeah, Clarence Lewis, um, you know, I went back and looked at my film review. Now, film reviews aren't exactly the best evidence because I say a lot of things about a lot of guys. <laughs> A lot of nice things about a lot of guys that don't work out. But I said some really good things about Lewis as a as a cover corner, a guy that could press, a guy that was physical at the line of scrimmage, a guy that knew how to use his body to defend, knew how to use the sideline to defend. I mean, I thought at the time I saw a lot of real positive things about him. And uh, apparently the kid can play because if you're a freshman – you know, what Kavari Russell did, I mean, Kavari Russell was an offensive player, basically, that, that transitioned to defense and started on a team that played for the national title. So that's even more exceptional. But Clarence Lewis is, is an accomplished cornerback. And obviously, he's giving Tariq Bracey a run for his money. I have to give uh, Kevin Sinclair a ton of credit on this one because he, for about six to nine months, has been telling me, like, I really have a good feeling about Clarence Lewis, um, that he felt like he was a cut above the other two corners. Like, well, at that point, Landon Bartleson was involved. So the other three corners that were ticketed for Notre Dame, he felt like Lewis was the, was the best one, clearly. So I'm going to give a shout-out to Mr. Sinclair on that. And as, as good as Russell became, he's a freshman All-American and became an NFL player. Um, all right, Russell won that job by default. They didn't have anybody else. No, he did. I mean, you lost yeah. Low Wood, who Kavari Russell's better than, but Low Wood was pretty much in position because as, as a guy that had been there before, and Kavari Russell mm-hmm. was a running back, crying out loud, coming out of high school. And then Josh Atkinson and Kavari Russell were just – it was just Kavari Russell won the job because they yeah. were not a very deep program. Now, it turns out – I don't know if – I don't think Clarence Lewis will have as good of a year as Kavari Russell did, but I think Clarence Lewis probably forced his way in there more than Kavari Russell forced his way in the lineup in 2012. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I remember Kavari Russell trying to guard Marquise Lee. Uh, I mean, that was not a, a right. technique clinic. It was just like, holy crap, I'm hanging out for dear life out here. I mean, Clarence Lewis could deliver at a higher level than that, I think. Yeah, shut now, up. Do you guys think, I'm sorry, Tim, do you guys think he's starting the way Brian Kelly spoke? I don't. I yeah, I didn't no. take it the way you did. Jim. Okay. Uh, but... I mean, I, I, I expect him to, I, I expect to see him playing this Saturday. Right. right. And so now you, now you For have sure. game footage and now, now the coaches have another decision to make when they compare the game footage. Yeah. Shout out to Kevin Sinclair because nobody works harder at, at evaluating players than, than Kevin. And, uh, and that's a good call. My only thing with Lewis was, was he sudden enough? And Brian Kelly said that, you know, he's not, he kind of hemmed and hawed about how he was going to say it. I, I, he's not, not, it's just, quick and fast as Kavari Russell, but in terms mm-hmm. of an accomplished defender of receivers coming out of high school, he was really, really good. So uh, that's a good situation. Uh, I think we have a question later about whether, you know, that's a bracy situation or not. We'll get to that, but um, uh, we move on to Notre, Notre DA 96700055. <laughs> Do you think with the depth at safety, they will move Sean Crawford back to cornerback? I think they have depth at safety only in a signing day, 24-7 composite kind of way. I don't think they have depth at safety at all. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think they have some depth at cornerback we didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, yeah with Cam like, Hart. If they like yeah. Cam Hart, too. If they like Cam Hart, too, they're four deep with Crawford being a guy that could fill in. They moved K.J. Wallace away from corner. So I know we have a question on Wallace and Crawford coming up, but it, let's pair them together from C. Frazier here because this is all, all one question for me right here. What's your take on the smaller size of Sean Crawford and K.J. Wallace at safety? I think Wallace got moved because there is a fifth corner, Isaiah Rutherford. And Wallace then can be a backup safe, a, a true – I think they can play more safeties than corners. Yeah. So I think you have five corners mm-hmm. that they like with Rutherford being number five. I think you have two safeties that they like 
I don't think Crawford would move away at all. No, he's one of their two best safeties. Yeah. He, I, no, that, that's not going to happen. That's why he is the starting safety this Saturday against Duke. Uh, I, I think the size, I mean, you know, we alluded to it. I think the size is an issue. Uh, Wallace is a little bit bigger and a little bit heavier. And a guy that when he came in last year, I remember talking to Todd Light during the summer, he, you know, he said that, that he's a boundary corner, he's physical, he's aggressive. So I think he fits, despite being 5'10 and a quarter or whatever he is, I think he fits uh, physically that safety spot a little bit better than, than, than Crawford does, all things being equal. But, and then Justin Walters coming in next year, um, very physical, very physical corner, but a little bit undersized as well. So I think when you look at the entire unit now and moving forward, of course, Sean Crawford will be gone uh, unless he comes back for a seventh year, which is, Tim, can we definitively say he won't come back? Uh, I'm not, he won't have a chance year? to glare at me this year, but uh, from behind the, the Zoom <laughs> yeah. screen, but uh, he, he, I don't think he'll be planning on coming back. On yeah, no, Crawford's one of their two best safeties, and that gives them two really good safeties. And Same I think uh, just to put a bow on it, KJ Wallace is the third safety at strong safety. There's six safeties. He, he, if he comes in, something went wrong, right? Uh, yeah. But I mean, I, I, I'm in accordance with what Pete said that those are, those are, you know, and, and to be fair, Griffith missed some time. Yeah. Right. Not right. non-injury time in the preseason. Um, but I, I don't see Isaiah Pryor being a, a starter at Notre Dame during his time at Notre Dame. Insane ND Tucson. I try to never read too much into depth charts, especially for game one. Well, then stay off of our message board when the depth charts are released for crying out loud. <laughs> there are several offensive players with big but unproven upside. Which of the receivers do you pick to have a breakout year? And Insane ND Tucson picks Avery Davis. Uh, well, I've been on Avery Davis's bandwagon, so I agree with that. Um, Ah, man. Um, you know, I think McKinley has a real opportunity here, especially in September. I mean, he should have a good September. The competition starts to amp up a little bit after that. You start when you face the, the Florida State corners. Uh, things change a little bit. Of course, Kevin Austin then is probably back in the mix by, by Florida State. I think Florida State, I think I wrote this yesterday somewhere, um, it's 10 weeks since his surgery when Nordane plays Florida State. When, you, when Brian Kelly gives it an 8- to 12-week span, you would expect him to be back for that. So, yeah, but, but Avery Davis, I think, is a guy, you know, we can point to one series, right? Because really, when he, when he moved to running back slash receiver right after moving from quarterback, he didn't catch the ball very well. The reports right. that we had from the scrimmage last Friday – uh, were that he caught it very well uh, in that scrimmage. So he's probably made progress. He's had a lot of work at it now. That would be my pick to click as well among the, among the, among the new guys, uh, outside, of course, of Kevin Austin once he's healthy. Yeah, I, Skronik's already proven, I guess, even if he hasn't proven it at Notre Dame. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I'm really partial to any of them. Um, I'm – but I guess I would say I'm skeptical of Davis doing it against better opponents um, as I am with McKinley. I think they've, they've been here too long and have had too many opportunities to flash and haven't really done it. Um, so I guess that's why I'm, I'm from Notre Dame's point of view, I'm, I'm hopeful that keys and Lindsay come get them. Uh, Cause I, I do think both of those guys have more natural ability. I think Tim made a point about, as competition ramps up and a lot of guys are going to look pretty good in September. I have McKinley. I think McKinley and Davis and Skoranek and guys are going to be running free in September and scoring touchdowns. And it's going to be all fun and games and it gets a little bit tougher in October. And Kevin Austin back game one, Florida state. I, I, I would like to have a report before Wake Forest that he's basically ready, but they're going to hold him out because the bye right. week. And gets a full week during the, during the bye week. Florida state's corners will be all over him if he's not ready to yeah. play. I think, yeah. I think Davis's speed will play better uh, than than McKinley's game. So I, 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 at this stage of his career, I'm a little bit more confident that that can carry into October ju just because of that speed. But I, I would agree that uh, McKinley better really be an accomplished receiver because when they get into that, 
when they get into the final uh, two thirds of the season or whatever the percentage is, it's going to be a lot more difficult. Let's skip that next one, Tim. Okay. And uh, we'll go to IC Gold. Um, who is each of your picks for the Asmar Bilal slash Jameer Jones slash Jonas Gray breakout senior on this year's squad for the purpose of the discussion, set the grad transfers to the side. There's really, there really aren't many from which to choose. Is, is MTA a breakout if he does it? Eh, I looked at that. I, I, I mean, I think he's about to take a, a significant step up. I don't know that I, he's been a starter. So yeah, if he takes a significant step up and he's in the middle <laughs> sacking people and he has six sacks and nine tackles for loss, I that's MTA. Um, I think most of them are on the offensive side, right? Yeah, I, I, I can't see. I mean, Brock Wright has six targets and two catches or four catches. So whatever he does is better. But he's, I don't think Brock Wright can be Jonas Gray, Asmar Bilal level of breakout with the other tight ends. How many right. How many throws are there to go around when yeah, you have Tremble and Mayer at, at tight end? I, mean, Brock Wright, I guess if Brock Wright catches touchdowns against Florida State, Louisville, and Clemson, that's a pretty good breakout for him, right? He's coming back and helping them win games. So yeah. It's all relative to their, the depth they have now compared to back then. True. Yeah, I, I guess it, you know, I realize he's an accomplished player, but, you know, Adeo Gadeja has only been a starter for about four games. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see him making a jump from day three, sixth, seventh round pick all the way up to, a third round pick kind of season. Um, you know, that's not, he's not, that wouldn't be out of nowhere, but that would, that, that's a significant jump. Uh, if he would, if he would do that, I feel like he has sort of has that ability. For the record. Um, I'm probably the only guy that did that did it, but I had Ogundeji as a first team, all ACC. Um, and I, in my Thursday thoughts, I'll, did you have votes, Pete and Tim? I know you I, did. I did. Um, yeah, I, the only guys that I went all ACC for were Hamilton, Uusu Koromoa, uh, and Eichenberg. And had you known Clarence Lewis would have been another one. Yes, after, after listening to that. <laughs> I also I also thought Trevor Lawrence should have been Player of the Year. So. Yes, you, did you go with that vote as well? There's... Yeah, yeah. Way to go! Did that limb break when you want, walked out on it? I, I I just want to know who voted for Ian Book. Oh yeah, somebody did vote for Ian Book. He got one yeah. book. He got one one book, one vote. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm just sort of curious where that came from. I didn't. It did not come from me. Uh, so to finally to answer the question and move on. I mean, really, the seniors on offense: Jafar Armstrong, Javon McKinley, Brock Wright, and Avery Davis. Back to Avery Davis. So I guess I would say. And McKinley's a grad student too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess he I would really say limited Davis. us that discussion. Yeah, yeah. I guess I would say Davis again. Uh, Tim, you can go ahead and try to pronounce that. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> Ms. Maraglino. Ms. Maraglino. That's a that's a big code. Given Navy's performance against BYU and Niamatololo, attributing it to no live tackling or scrimmages because of COVID fears, it made me wonder where ND is with respect to tackling and scrimmaging. How much did they do and how will it impact what we see Saturday? Did you guys see that disaster? I mean, I know you did, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I, I did. I, I didn't see a lot of that disaster because of the disaster. Yeah, I stopped. Yeah. I, I moved on. I, 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 unbelievable. And then Niamatololo, I mean, at least he fell on the sword, said, hey, it's all my fault. We didn't, we didn't tackle. We didn't hit in the preseason. I, I don't – and it, it was to guard against COVID-19. Who advised him? to do this what what was the protocol at at the naval academy that you wouldn't you're practicing but you're not hitting i mean i just that that was that was just an unbelievably embarrassing effort and performance against byu i couldn't believe what i was seeing you're breaking in a new quarterback you have a triple option offense and you didn't hit during the preseason how do you master what you do offensively you know, and they've got an aggressive defensive coordinator. They've got some they, – they've had to make some replacements on the D-line, but their safeties are good. They've got a really good linebacker in the middle. That was an absolute disaster. I know that's not the question, but I had to say that because <laughs> yeah. Nia Matalolo, somebody has to inquire what – who who advised you is to take this approach because that was an absolute disaster. I'm not uh, – not saying that I'm, I'm bummed that Notre Dame didn't open with Navy, but – 
I think it's probably healthy for everybody that we're not writing about Chris Tyree's 250 yard rushing performance. They would have won by, they would have won by 85 basically. It just would have been a lot. It would have been a lot to take for message boards everywhere. Um, anyway, answer the question. We think there's been a fair amount recently, right? <laughs> yes, please answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, because Brian Kelly talked about spirited scrimmages, and, and Tim, you know of some that have uh, – I don't think they started it all that way. They haven't had the same amount you would have had where you conditioned. And, you know, you used to be practice five would be full pads, and then we'd we'd see a pretty good scrimmage in five or six, and you'd see another one at, in 12 and and then probably 18, and then you ramp down to uh, – the game week preparations for a couple weeks. I doubt they did that, but I know that we know at least two very good scrimmages, right? Spirit yeah. On Friday. I mean, what I heard about the enthusiasm and the readiness to play a game last Friday, eight, eight days before playing Duke was at the top of the chart. So Brian Kelly did say yesterday that they're like down a couple practices because when they had, when they had the outbreak with the student body, they were like, at least three days where they didn't practice. Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe a and that's fourth. When Notre, that, and that was when Notre Dame had – football had an outbreak too. I mean, that was <laughs> that was the test where they had five positives and six in contact tracing, right. which was right. roughly half of their entire total. So I don't think that they're – I don't think they're where they normally are with tackling <clears throat> for obvious reasons. But we know that they've scrimmaged multiple times. Um, yeah, I, look, even if you scrimmage multiple times, your tackling is probably going to be a little bit shoddy in the opening game for most defenses. I think that's just, well, it was last year. It was, it was very right. much so last year. I guess. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the degree of difficulty facing an offense too added to it, but yeah, definitely. So Notre Dame to answer the question, they're not at, they're not at where they always are. Uh, but I would say that they're very close. Irish Zibby is these. I'm going to put two questions together here. Uh, from Irish Zibby is Kyron Williams starting because he has improved a ton, or because the rest of the running backs aren't performing? And then Rutgers 33 hot uh, asked Kyron Williams and Clarence Lewis's ascension up the depth chart would have been unexpected months ago. How much of this is these two players really impressing versus previously expected starters not meeting expectations? I you know earlier in the podcast, I was talking about, you know, sometimes depth chart moves you take as a positive. Sometimes they're negative. Sometimes they're different. Like I take Kyron Williams as a positive, like that's a, he made a move. Um, Chris Tyree made a move. Clarence Lewis. I take it more as like, there were older guys that didn't answer the bell. Um, so I, it's, I think Kyron Williams, two thumbs up. I mean, that, that guy went out, went out and won a job. Clarence Lewis, I think something, kind of fell to him because there are a bunch of older players, whether they're at safety or corner that didn't, didn't win over the coaching staff. I think there's a little of both with Williams though, in that Jafar Armstrong missed some time, Jameer Smith missed some time. Um, but Kyron Williams has the job now and those guys aren't getting it back. I don't think, I think Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree can seize it. Brian Kelly saying that Sebo Flemister came on late. Does that mean he missed some time? early, early and came on late because I still, I'm in the, it's not a vast minority, but I still like what he brings in terms of six, seven carries a game, Sebo Flemister, because he runs hard on every carry. I like what he has. Um, Jafar Armstrong missing a lot of time does not help him in a five-man race because if you just unleash Williams and Tyree and one more of those other guys looks good, it's hard to get the carries. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't I, see Jafar Armstrong as a, as a as a banging back when Brandon Kelly said he's physical. He's a physical guy, but he doesn't run with a low pad level to get the yards right. physically. Maybe, maybe he's yeah, gotten over the pad level, but in yeah. order to, in order for him to be an an effective physical runner, it's got to be a pad level issue. I think it's a combination of both. And and I but I agree with you, Pete, in that in this. If Tariq Bracey had a great camp, he would be listed one and Lewis would be listed two. Sure. And we would hear uh, we would hear about what a what a young phenom Lewis is, but it says Bracy or Lewis, so that tells me that Bracy left the door open, and and Lewis took advantage of, of that. Um, and then the running back situation. I mean, we know that we know that Armstrong missed time, and as far as Sebo getting carries, I agree with that. But I don't want it to be at the at the expense of Chris Tyree. No, no, no. But <laughs> thank you. you the third. <laughs> They always use a third, and I think Brian Kelly. I meant to ask this, but it, it, we have a bit of an odd. I asked the Lewis question. 
Um, I think you have to go deeper than you want to go because you don't know about soft tissue injuries in September and you can play all these guys anyway. And that won't continue the whole season. After a while, you realize, all right, we're just playing football again. But I think you'll see four guys get carries against Duke. Yeah, I think so too. I think Duke is a team that you can – Notre Dame ran against them last year. They still have those great pass rushers, uh, but they lost their great tackling middle linebacker. I think Notre Dame can still run against – them so we should see multiple backs who gets more Saturday. carries against you <coughs> jameer smith or jafar armstrong <clears throat> i think it's Jaf- i think still think it's jafar armstrong depending upon how far along he yeah. is and how much how much action he got the last four weeks i have he- no idea i have, I have no <laughs> clue on that one that's yeah. a- I, i'm not even going to try to guess because it's the idea of <clears throat> who's missed what and when and for how long i yeah i just don't know we have ideas about that but we certainly don't know the exact specifics i have another combination question here starting with irish cowboy, cowboy 88 do you expect to see jack lamb back in his third down role what about taking over as the starting buck later in the season he seemed like a star in the making the first two years and then from mac 341 thoughts on shane simon at buck Regarding the third down role, I think when Jack Lamb got hurt and Owusu Koromoa eventually got in there for the third down dime, they saw what could be done with Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, and I don't know how you get the role back from him. Are you taking Owusu Koromoa off the field as the only linebacker now? Well, that's Hell that's no. ridiculous. Yeah. So third down role is the dime, if that's what he's saying, because the nickel will be Owusu Koromoa and – I mean, unless that's what Leah Fowles or is, you assume Drew White stays on. The mic doesn't normally come off in the uh, in Notre Dame's nickel, the, the, the two linebackers. Right. And Drew White would just – I know people don't like Drew White in coverage, but he knows more about what's going on than Shane Simon does right now. So that unless Leah Fowles is gifted in coverage, I assume the buck comes off in the nickel for the, for the other defensive back. Yeah, that was a question I, I had put to me about, like, well, do you think Jack Lamb will still have that passing – situation i was like well when he did against louisville and georgia and he was he was quite good he was who the hell was jeremiah wusu koromoa like we didn't even know who he was i mean what he could do i mean we had a glimpse of it but now that we've seen a full season of him on no way he's coming off the field so that's and like that's the perfect fit for him too unless he's also your nickelback uh you know maybe <laughs> maybe in a maybe in a dime package he plays over the slot um yeah. You know, and maybe there's an opportunity there for somebody like Lamb. I don't know, but the fact that he wasn't on the depth chart at all is is not not a positive thing. Yeah, I'm really I, again, I'm really surprised at that. I'm not. I, I don't think you can count Jack Lamb out because he would because he was he was good at what he did last year. So uh, I'm sure there's a lot of frustration on his part, considering you know he had the role last year. Um, but I but I but again, I think I said this in segment one, Leofowl had to have beaten him out unless Lamb still had some physical ailments, which I'm, I, I, I'm not aware of anything that limited him during the preseason. You know, Pete, you opened the door to those two being out there with the JOK thing being the nickel because we know that they have, of course, there's four defensive linemen and then five defensive backs. So I don't think the sixth defensive back would be better at his job than Owusu Koromoa would be at doing that job. Which means Jack Lamb so can go either. back to doing the job that he was good at <laughs> in being that linebacker that kind of is in the middle of the field. So that is an interesting thing. I think he would be on the press, I mean, the depth chart if that were true. But as Tim has I said agree. a few times, it's game one's depth chart. And, and with regard to Shane Simon, I mean, I think, I think we've always felt like his ceiling, his upside, was, it, was, it was always higher than Jordan Jim Keith. So that shouldn't be a surprise. And, and there, was, there was some talk about not being physical enough. He, he was at Rover and they moved from there. I think they moved him to Mike next, and then they moved him over to Buck. So there's some question about physicality. But, again, this is like the question about team speed on defense. When you don't know what you're doing, you're not fast. When you don't know what you're doing, you're not physical. He's now a third year in the program. He's 230 pounds. If he's fully healthy, maybe it's all clicked. It clicked for Wusu Koromo at some point last year. Uh, it clicked for Asmar Bilal early in the year. Maybe it has for Shane Simon. I hope so from the standpoint that I think that his ceiling was the highest of the guys competing for that spot. 
Jim underscore Booney underscore CRS. How do you think Owusu Koromo will be utilized differently, if at all, this season? Could you see him getting called on more in blitz packages? I, I think his role really, really expands. We saw it in the Camping World Bowl. You know, from everything that we were told, um, you know, early in the year, he was just trying to get lined up. And then as he as he played, he got better and better and better. And by the end of the season, he was an outstanding player. So more blitzes. Well, he had three sacks against Iowa State. I think that's definitely in the cards. I think Sean Crawford plays a role here. Usu Kuromoa and Kyle Hamilton make each other so much better with all the stuff they can do that you want somebody smart back there looking around and calling things out while those two wreak havoc everywhere on the field. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, you can't have sure. that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think Hamilton and Usu Koromoa make each other are going to make each other great players this year. From the standpoint of this was the this was the big concern about the safeties. Okay, Hamilton's going to be great, but who's going to be opposite him? And think of all you're going to lose in terms of knowledge and adjustments that you had with Elliott and Gilman. You put Crawford back there with Hamilton, and now you have the same mindset and knowledge of the game that you had last year. Fun one from Kaiser Wilhelm. With the departure of Jordan Jenmark Heath, which Notre Dame player now has the best Twitter handle? Pete? <laughs> uh, well, O'Malley pointed out that Kurt Heinisch is truck sauce, so I think that's that's the winner. <laughs> um, Chris Tyree's Instagram was, the I think it was the Golden Jet. That was a good one, too. But, yeah, there's Swedish black guy is that was kind of an all-timer. <laughs> I'm going to shout out to uh, – maybe maybe he's listening right now. Nico Fertitta. <laughs> With his NF so crucial, just because I always laughed at that every time. So I thought NF so crucial was uh, a <laughs> high opinion of himself when he came up with that, with that Twitter handle. So that's still my winner. Uh, question from Matty Heaps 14. What do the game day COVID restri- restrictions look like for the media this weekend? There's a, there's a lot of Where changes. Where do we start? <laughs> there's a lot of changes. O'Malley, do you want to start with the biggest change for you? Yeah, the biggest change for me is I will be uh, watching from my living room. Uh, until September 19th when South Florida comes to town. Uh, it's one reporter for every outlet. That is why I'll be watching for the living room. And I will be having the exact same Zoom call, however, with the reporters that are on hand in the press box <laughs> from my living room. So you know that joke about bloggers and their underwear and their parents' basement and all that stuff? That's how That's people you, are covering the game this year. Half That's the time. you, baby. <laughs> There's a lot of differences. Uh, be, don't arrive hungry. That was one I thought was... They they will not be serving food, so eat before. We can bring food, right? We can bring our sack. You know, they are serving a box lunch, but I think it was something at halftime. They oh, they're not anymore. That's no good. No, I'm I'm just I'm passing on the box lunch. Um, (laughs) You're hard pass. I will box the lunch. I'll be uh, going Anna Hickey style and bringing my own food. Yes. Yeah, I'll be I'll be bringing food. Well, like one side, like like one side of one row normally fits about would you say 20 people yeah yeah at least there, yeah there, right there will be four people <clears throat> for one side of one row 18 beat writers and, and that's 28 total outlets people, 28 total people right right um on the road this is where it really gets tricky because and th- these are acc rules uh on the road the visiting team there are a total of three media people so three i mean three outlets covering Notre Dame on the road. So I don't think anybody is going to be, I don't think any media outlet is going to be at every game. No. You know which ones you guys are going to on the road? We I know I'm definitely Wake. know of Wake Forest and Pittsburgh, but. Okay. Uh, I'm definitely Wake Forest and definitely North Carolina. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> you listening, Aaron? I'm going to raise hell if I don't get to North Carolina. Yes, yes. <laughs> I actually have a very odd – now, this is um, Tim let me pick uh, Louisville or Florida State. So, I, I didn't mean to it this way. I, I like covering Florida State games. I have a lot of friends who went to Florida State. I, I just hear the word Florida – the two words Florida State, and I think I want to cover that game, even like when they stunk in 2018. So, I took Florida State. But that puts me totally accidentally – South Florida, Wake Forest, Florida State, and then not again until December. I wasn't even – I was not thinking at all when I did that because all the road games and then you have the home games right. that come after that. Strange thing. And, and explain for our listeners why you got to choose between Florida State and Louisville. Because I, I told Tim he could choose between South Florida and Clemson. 
<laughs> and for some reason, Tim took Clemson. So no, no, Tim, Tim has Clemson. Yeah, I don't think that was even that wasn't even a discussion, was it, Tim? I don't it think not. it was. It was a very gracious email from Tim that opened the door to everything without Clemson being listed in the, uh, in the <laughs> option. It's like I'm sure they have. I'm sure they're playing 11 games. Why is that not listed here? Yeah, <laughs> and 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 just to, and just to inform people, you know, our our pregame and postgame is going to be much different. We're really not sure how we're going to pull off our postgame video. Our pregame will probably be done before I even leave for the stadium. Is that right? Aren't we? Well, we should actually talk about this uh, on, on air right now so people can hear it. I was thinking pregame would be easier because we don't have to walk down. I mean, I'm sorry, not pregame, postgame. Like, the game ends. We're normally trying to make our it, way to the It will be, but room. you know how – I mean, we don't like – this is probably stuff people don't even really want to hear. But, I mean, we, we – so I have to – I have to – do the zoom sitting at my seat and everybody's going to hear me talking. I mean, I, we know how annoying that is when it's somebody else doing it. So, uh, are they going to hear you talking? Like, I, I don't, I'm not under the impression that we get to ask any questions. We'll be typing them in. No, no. Us doing our post game video. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I mean, we still have to do that. Now, one of the options is to go out on the, the balconies, right. Which may work fine in September and early October, but, do you want me to film your monologue out there? Yeah. How about, I mean, that, how about that Syracuse uh, post yeah. game by me out there? Yeah. O'Malley's got Syracuse <laughs> December 5th. Martin, even flow. How frustrating is it not to be able to ask follow-up questions in these press conferences? Incredibly frustrating. It's like the worst. I'm going to treat this yeah. like players treat questions when someone says, how frustrating is it or how great is it or how special is it? How frustrating is it not to be able to ask follow-up questions during a press conference? To quote Jalen Smith, it means everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it you know everything. And, the follow-up or, questions and, are the point of the press conference. And, and here's the here's the perfect example from yesterday. I mean, Brian Kelly says Shane Simon and and uh, Maris Leofile, and and you know it. I'm not sure that in Notre Dame, their hands are tied for a lot of this stuff, yes. but I don't think it's understood many times that the reason we ask questions and the reason we follow up with questions is so we can get multiple quotes and then write a story about it. If you write a story about Leofile winning the job, the natural follow-up is, did he beat Lamb out? What's the deal with Lamb? But we didn't have an opportunity to do that. Now, we probably can pop back in and, and type something yeah. in quickly and perhaps Claire, I think Pete, uh, Claire read a follow-up that you quickly typed in yesterday. Is that correct? No, those no. were I, I submitted you all don't. three of those before okay. Uh, okay. The press okay. started. But to Tim's just sort of how you and I asked the same question essentially in the beginning of the press conference. Yeah. About like his feel for the team. Little, yeah, to yeah, be, a little to be fair, uh, my original question was also someone else's question. I happened to look at the depth chart twenty minutes in at the bottom to see Clarence Lewis, because I just looked at the buck and the other and the wide receivers. Yeah. And I saw Clarence Lewis. I typed up that question fast. So they do take Oh um, gotcha. They do take it's not like everything was submitted right. before that started. So it's frustrating because the stories we, we write in many instances, at least from our perspective, won't be as complete because the ability to follow up is huge, especially when we interview players, which is coming up tonight, and that'll be worse because coaches are better at ad living than players are. Last question, Judge Arthur Vandelay. What's the better year for Notre Dame? Go 10-1, win the ACC, make the college football playoff, and lose by three touchdowns? Or go 10-1, lose an ACC championship, and then beat a top 10 Georgia or Florida in the Orange Bowl? All, all due respect to uh, Honorable Judge Arthur, Arthur Vandelay, but it is 10 times out of 10 the first option. Because you tell me how Notre Dame can win a national championship without making the playoff. Let me know. Let me know how, let me know how that can happen. Tim, I interpret oh. the question a little differently, and I'll tell you here in a second. I agree with Pete, though, that I would rather enjoy – as a pure Notre Dame fan, I'd rather enjoy the ride of beating Clemson in the ACC championship game, regardless of who you – maybe you beat him twice and lost to Pitt. But beating, winning the ACC championship and going to the playoff and just finding out that I, – I mean – Boy, I would only think Alabama would be able to light up Notre Dame by three TDs out of the people that are left. But maybe they get maybe their Alabama's two and Notre Dame's three, and that does happen. I still I don't care about ending the season with a loss like that. I think winning an ACC championship over Clemson, you're one year in, would be pretty uh, fun ride for Notre Dame fans. It would be, but but 
Judge Arthur Vandalay is giving us the end game, and the end game is losing by three touchdowns in the playoffs. If it was open-ended, then I, would, I, I agree with exactly what you're saying, Pete, that you always want the opportunity to win the national title. But he, gave, he, he took it out to the last step. And the last step in number, the number two choice is winning the Orange Bowl. The first I think round that's a better outcome. Not winning your playoff game hurts a lot more than getting the championship too, though. That's just, you, you lose the fun of that. Well, it's yeah. Well, loss, think about what happened two years ago. Everything that Notre Dame accomplished during that season for a lot of people was thrown out the window by a 27-point loss. Yeah, I just I feel like that gives too much credit to a lot of people. Like, I think those people are idiots. Like, there's, <laughs> there's no reason to throw everything out the rest please, of the season. That please was a, tell us that how was, you feel. Just like that was a sort of a special season for Notre Dame. I mean, I you're telling me that even though the Clemson game went the way it it went, that, like, you didn't get – juice out of the USC game or the run up to Clemson or just like the week down in Dallas. I mean, the same way as the Alabama game, I realized the game went the way that it went, but like, you know, like Notre Dame was on fire for like a month leading up to that game. That that's a big, big deal. I think we're, I, I think I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, you would enjoy that. Yeah. I think we we're disagreeing, but agreeing at the same time, because I, I totally agree the opportunity to play in the playoffs. You choose that 10 out of 10 times. But since, yeah, I, I know what I know what you're saying, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I I I came away from from that season saying it was a great season. It was unfortunate the way things turned out against Clemson, but it was still a great season. But man, it sure would be nice to win a major bowl, wouldn't it? You know what? And I think I think if you had asked me this question when the major bowls were always played with the fervor and intensity and integrity of a major bowl, I might go that way because sometimes you beat a team in a major bowl now and they're like, yeah, well, what did Georgia care? They had 16 guys opt out and Notre Dame beat them. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where you guys are going pro nowadays and everything. And it's really hard to the major bowl thing when it's really played. Those are, those are still really fun for me. It is. And we're all over the board on this. So good question by judge Arthur Vandaly. That's it for Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back on Thursday to preview Notre Dame versus Duke.